G'day, welcome to the Fasting Highway podcast. I'm Graham Curry, your host from Perth, Australia. I lost 60 kilos or 132 pounds living an intermittent fasting lifestyle, and I successfully maintained that weight loss now, coming up two years. I wanted to bring this series of podcasts to you to give you an insight into what it's like to living an intermittent fasting lifestyle. I'm also the author of the book, The Fasting Highway, which is a story of my journey overcoming chronic addiction to fast food and sugar and taking that walk from morbid obesity to normality. So sit back here with us on the Fasting Highway in the next few weeks and listen to some inspiring guests and some experts in the intermittent fasting community. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy the show. G'day and welcome to the Fasting Highway. And this is episode 56. So today I'm going to be joined by Christopher Sant. And Christopher is from Mooney Ponds in Victoria here in Australia. And Chris is a technology professional and hardcore foodie that loves a good barbecue. And he's a busy dad of two kids. He is on the start of his intermittent fasting journey and is a great example of non-scale victories or NSVs that can be achieved in a short period of time. In just three months of fasting, he has reversed his type 2 diabetes among many other benefits. So here to tell us all about his journey so far today is Christopher Sant. Oh, g'day, Chris, and uh, welcome to the Fasting Highway, and thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Graham. Thanks for having me. Oh, great to have you here. So, Chris, for those people that don't know you, and we heard a bit about you in the intro there, just give us a bit of your backstory, any sort of problems you had with weight or health in your life, and what actually led you up to finding out about intermittent fasting? Yeah, look, I, I've always been a bigger guy. I mean, even if I look at my photos of when I was growing up, you know, I was always the fat kid. Um, I think from memory, I used to get teased at primary school. They used to call me fatorexic. <laughs> um, it, man, kids can be really nasty. And, and, you know, that went through my adulthood probably until I was in my 20s, sort of slimmed out. And then towards the end of my 20s, sort of stacked it on again. Um, and, and really, there was a couple of things. I don't know if I've explained this to you before, but there was a couple of things that happened to me um, in the lead up to me wanting to fast. I had a, a really bad back injury. Um, and, you know, that that just meant that, you know, my mobility reduced and I felt really, you know, upset about the fact that I couldn't work out strenuously anymore and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then, yeah, you know, you go and get your blood tests every, you know, whatever, six, 12 months and you get your doctor's checkups and then the labs get progressively worse as the weight stacks on and, and, you know, you kind of feel pretty helpless that, you know, how much can I do or how, what can I do? And yeah, so I, I definitely had some issues there and, and some of those blood tests I was getting from the doctor sort of probably around early to mid last year, the doctor said to me, look, if we don't start doing something about this soon, um, you know, you're definitely type two diabetic already from my from my blood test results. Um, I had fatty liver. Um, he was even talking about putting me on statins um, for for blood results and heart and stuff. And I'm like, dude, I'm 36. I'm not even 37 yet. Like, you know, I, I don't want to be taking blood sugar medications and statins and and other things. Like, that's not what I want. Um, so it was really that was the kick in in the backside for me to start looking into what other options I could look into and something sustainable. Um, and, and yeah, and I sort of stumbled across some of the fasting stuff online. Um, your group popped up, um, which was fantastic, you know, um, really good community feel. And so um, between kind of reading Jin's 
books, um, uh, Fast Feast Repeat and, and yours, and, and sort of really plugging into that online network um, really helped me to start my fasting. And yeah, the, the results started to, to kick in from there and sort of just kept going with it. Yeah, that's great, mate. So you sort of found your way through Jim Stevens' books, um, Delay Don't Deny, and the bestseller, New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat, and my own book, The Fasting Highway, and now group, The Fasting Highway Facebook group, the community you're talking about there. But so when you started, Chris, what was your fasting protocol and how, how did you actually choose that? So my first, I, I had to sort of, I really like what you talk about um, in some of your posts about just simplification and starting simple. And I, I had to do that because I just had information overload, mate. Like, you know, I had people telling me to do 5-2 and do alternate day and do like, there's so much info overload. So I thought, okay, what are some of the things I can do to start simple? And for me, the not, and I think you talked about this in your book, the night snacking was, was really, once I understood the relationship between insulin and the fact that I just kept grazing like a camel um, and I had to really start sort of just eating during the day, stopping at, you know, seven, eight o'clock, whatever that was, and not eating again until the next day, that was kind of my phase one. And doing that, kind of found myself losing a couple of kilos and and actually feeling better Um, and and doing my blood sugar readings started to notice a difference in terms of, you know, waking and fasting blood sugars and stuff because I do check my blood sugars a few times a day. Um, And then as that progressed, I then, you know, as you talked about, pushed your window further back. So, you know, instead of having breakfast, waited and skipped and then had lunch and then lunch gets pushed back a bit further so really it, it started with uh, i would say sort of 12 and 12 and then maybe 18 and 6 and now i'm pretty much progressed to eating between i would say 2 and 5 p.m or 2 and 6 p.m and sometimes shortening that further to like between 4 and 6 or 3 and 6 um so really the main thing is not snacking at night and just trying to push as far as i can throughout the day yeah and did you get that clean fast principle right from the start, Chris? You know, we talk about the clean fast and by that for people that may be you listening to this podcast, just black tea, um, black coffee, water, plain sparkling water, plain green tea. They're the only things you can really have during your fast. Did you get that straight away? I didn't. And and to be honest with you, I think that was one of the things that held me back because, you know, my wife bought all these herbal teas and, you know, hibiscus tea and all these things. And then once I started to realize, oh, even I had this drop moment, penny drop moment when I read, I think it was Jason Fung's book um, quite a while ago, The Obesity Code. And he talked about even diet Coke would spike your blood sugar. And, and I nearly fell off my chair at that point because I always thought, you know, she'll be right. If it's diet, zero calories, you're good. But once I understood that your brain doesn't know the difference and is going to have an insulin response irrespective, um, I, I cut out all of those things that had any sweetness to them. Um, and even things like the matcha tea, you know, and I could prove this because my blood sugars, I could see my blood sugar going up. I'd have a green tea with the tea bag, but then a matcha tea with the, the powder that you mixed had no sugar in it. But because it had substance and, you know, had fibers and had, you know, how they blend it up and powder it up, um, it would spike my blood sugar and my blood sugar would go up. So, really, I, you know, I, I would say probably for the first month I didn't. And then from that point on, after sort of getting on the bandwagon um, with yourself and, and gin and everyone, um, that's when I started to really notice the, the difference. As you say, the clean fasting bit is the everlasting bit. It really is yeah. true. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. And if you're not going to clean fast, then don't even bother fasting because you're wasting your time. Pretty but, much. Um, Chris, what I wanted to talk to you about too was 
Let's start with your stats, mate. When you first started, um, what height you are, what weight you were when you first started. Yeah, cool. So I'm about 174, 175 centimetres tall. I'm not sure what that is in the the feet and inches um, for the American listeners, but um, whatever that is, 174, 175 centimetres. So I'm not hugely tall, but I've always been stocky. Like even when I'm, you know, when, even when I slimmed out for my, my wedding, you know, 12 years ago, um, I've always been stocky. So I think at my worst, or at my heaviest, I got to about 116 kilos, which it just ballooned. Like 100 became 105, 105 became 110. And then after that, it's just like every, I stopped getting on the scale because it was just getting depressing. Um, and, you know, I could see it in my face and I was just feeling lethargic and, you know, um, yeah, so I, I got to about 116-ish kilos. And then so after about three months of and, – and this is what I want to talk about today. I haven't had massive, massive weight losses from, from doing this. It's been a lot of non-scale victories. I have had some loss, but I'm still – I feel like this is a long-term thing and I'm at the start of my journey. So I've come down to about 105 kilos now. So probably lost about 10, 11 kilos um, yep. in that time since September 2020 um, through till now. And I've probably plateaued a little bit, so that's why I'm sort of starting to ramp up my fasting regime even even tighter a little bit. Um, but the NSVs have been, you know, even if you said to me, Chris, you're going to be this weight, but you're going to feel the way you do and have the NSVs, I would still be happy with that outcome because the NSVs, like, um, we'll talk about this, but my doctor fell off his chair when he saw what I did after about three months of, um, of uh, clean fasting. Okay, so... 11 kilos is pretty good going, mate. That's 22 pounds for our North American listeners. And Chris was up around the 260-pound mark there. And he's around 5 foot 8, something like that. And, um, yeah, tall enough anyway, aren't you, Chris? But then what were you mentioned there about checking your blood sugars and that sort of thing? Just run us through that, why you were checking your blood sugars and what situation were you in? Were you, you type 2 diabetic? Yeah, I was. So... It was one of those things where you go to the doctor and they're trying to be polite, but they kind of have to give you a kick in the backside at the same time. And I've got a really good relationship with my doctor and, and you know, like through my back spinal injury, you know, I, from when I hurt my back in jujitsu and all these other things, you know, um, he's been really supportive. And look, we had a really serious chat about, you know, this whole getting on statins and getting on blood um, sugar medications. And he basically said to me, he said, look, mate, he goes, I know you don't want to hear this, but these are the figures that we tell people they're pre-diabetic and these are the figures we tell people they are diabetic. He said, no, you're in that category. So he said, you're technically diabetic type 2 now. So then the next thing I know, he's ripping out a Australian government. It's called the NDIS, National Dis- um, Disability Insurance Scheme or something. He's like, you classify now for a blood meter. You classify for testing strips like it was real. I'm like, oh, so I'm really type 2 diabetic. Like, you know, I come from an ethnic family of Maltese people where everyone's kind of semi-diabetic, right? Like they're all eat heaps of carbs, they're all large, and they just live their life eating a lot of bad food, right? Um, and and when he when he said that, it got real. So I came home with this blood sugar meter. You know, I've, I've got it here. I don't know if this will be on video later. But, you know, and I, I from that point, I had to start taking some accountability. Of, okay, I need to check my blood sugar when I wake up, you know, before I eat. After I eat, to see the impact um, before I go to bed and started logging that into an app and, you know, started having that conversation more regularly with my doctor. He said, look, mate, I'm going to give you another three to six months max. I saw him in June, um, saw him in between for some other stuff and then got another blood test in, um, I think it was September or in December. 
And um, he said to me, mate, if you don't clean things up by the end of the year, I'm just going to have to prescribe you the other stuff. And that was really, you know, the blood sugar meter was the first kick in the the, the backside. And then that, that thing over my head of, okay, I'm going to be on meds now um, was the next piece. And then, yeah, he's like ecstatic with my results. So I'm happy to run through some of um, that stuff. I'm, you know, I'm pretty transparent about all that. But so the key things I had really, the, the risk factors for me were background of diabetes in my family, background of stroke. Um, my dad had had a stroke when he was, you know, not too far from my age. So these were concern factors. And like I said, pretty much everyone in my family, grandparents, mom, dad, everyone's diabetic of some sort. So there's predisposed history there. So the first thing, I completely basically reversed the type 2 diabetes. Um, the HbA1c um, came from 6.9 to I think it was 5.5, um, which was nuts. It's like, you know, that's that's a great result. And, and you know, at the upper end of the reference range, but, um, you know, it was there. The fasting blood sugars came right back too. So, again, they're still higher than what we'd like to see. But I, from what I've seen, and I think even talking to your previous guests, um, I think Marty mentioned this as well, that the fasting blood sugar can be one of the last ones to come good. That can take quite some time. So that went from 8.4 back down to, I don't know, something like 6.8 or 6.2, which was, you know, way better. Um, And I'm not sure what the metric marker was for fatty liver, but he basically said to me, you've reversed all your fatty liver. In fact, you're in well within the normal range now of of the enzyme thing or whatever it was called. Um, And there was even other things too. So, um, triglycerides came came good. I'm just looking at some of the stuff now. So I think triglycerides went from four. I don't even know what these numbers are. So your medical listeners will probably laugh. But um, the triglycerides came from four point seven um, to one point seven, which was basically you know just slightly outside of the reference range, but way better. And he said to me, he said, I don't know what you've done in three months, but this is amazing. He said, How much exercise have you done? And I said, I haven't really had time. I've just been working flat out for a client, you know, doing my IT security job behind a desk. He said, I, I can't believe the results you've had just from reducing when you're eating. Um, and, and also, look, I was on a lower carbohydrate diet too. So when I was eating, I wasn't, you know, binging on carbs all the time. Oh, occasionally I might have, like if the kids had McDonald's on a Saturday and I was in my window and we were driving in the middle of nowhere, yeah, I ate a Big Mac. But you know, I wasn't going through the drive-through every night at 10 p.m. like I was before. Um, yeah, so I was really happy with that. Yeah, sounds familiar. You're going through the drive-through a lot, mate. Mate, and, the drive-through. Uh, I, I resonated when you said that actually in the book because you know when, when you have that feeling of the only person that's kind of seeing you do that is the chick in the drive-through window who doesn't really care. She just wants your four dollars for the McCaffrey Sunday or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's a big mindset shift. Yeah, it is. I was on a first-name basis with most of the workers in the drive-thru. I used to say, oh, morning, Graham. How are you? Usual. I'd say, yep. And then I'll yeah. go back in the afternoon. Oh, g'day, Graham. Usual. They you they you my routine down, Pat. Yeah. I used to yeah. sort of a creature habit. I used to go to the same one on the way to work, on the way home. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. mate, let's talk about that. Um, That must have been such a huge thrill for you to reverse that fatty liver and, and the diabetes too there in such a short time as well. And Let's talk about your window and your eating style, Chris. Um, We often hear the mantra with intermittent fasting, you can eat whatever you want. And I sort of don't really agree with that because eating whatever I wanted made me as obese as I was. 
Yeah. So when it came to intermittent fasting, I like to say I eat whatever makes me feel the greatest and makes my body run the best. Yeah. And so with your eating style, you started with that 12-12 and then you moved up and you're doing the 18-6 and then you extended it out. What sort of foods were you eating? Did you change your diet much or would you just denying anything or delaying anything? So I think what it is, I, I've sort of come to the conclusion, and, and I think Jason Fung talks about this in, in his book a little bit around that whole prehistoric element of your body wanting to hang on to the the fat that it's got as much as it can, right? You're in this constant battle. It's like playing Super Mario. Like you reach one level and you plateau and then you reach another level. And so the, the reason I'm saying that is the answer to this in my in my experience has been at the start, you're going to have a bit of a loss because you've got some water weight and it's it's kind of easy to get a little bit off. And then your body's going to equilibrize again, whatever you call it again, right? And so I realized that as I progressed, I had to get a little bit stricter. And so, you know, not eating at night meant that, yeah, a couple of kilos came off. Great. And then it was just your body stabilized, right? And then, you know, um, being a bit more restrictive by saying, you know what? I'm actually not going to have, um, you know, bread on my sandwich and massive ciabatta roll and, and you know, um, or Subway lunch where there's like, you know, half a kilo of bread in between some meat and stuff and sugary bread. I had to start getting more strict with that because as my body started to get to the next level, next level, it becomes progressively more difficult. So I would say that was my approach. Um, and also I felt better. So, you know, as soon as we had a carb binge night of pizza with the kids on a Friday, even if it was in my window and that was the only thing I had, you kind of feel the next morning and that night a bit slow and just a bit crap. Whereas, you know, if I just had a really clean steak and vegetables or, you know, more window worthy stuff, I just felt better. Um, and so that's progressing more too. So I've been following, um, and, and also another, this is what I love about your network and your community with the Fasting Highway. Um, people really help. So, uh, Keith, one of your previous um, podcast guests, been following his journey pretty closely and he's been a, a kind of mentor for me as well. And, um, you know, the, the carnivore thing is kind of the next progression for me on that. So I've been really doubling down on eating, you know, quality animal fats, quality animal proteins, trying to, you know, taking the canola oil and that stuff out of my diet has helped a lot. Um, I didn't realize how much it helped, but the oils and the, the fake manufactured oils are really bad for you. So now, you know, frying in things like butter or some tallow or duck fat has been really beneficial for me with mental clarity. Um, so, yeah, so that's kind of been my progression. So sort of not so strict, a bit more strict, you know, reducing a lot of the empty carbs um, and now sort of progressing to more of an animal-based um quality meat-based diet and you know sometimes i'll have veggies with it sometimes i won't but really just trying to be as clean as i can with what i'm eating yeah that's fantastic and a, a big shout out to keith mcdonald who you're talking about there and keith lives in british columbia in canada and he's a very inspiring guy and he's a member of the fasting highway facebook group and i think what you were talking about there with the carnival we mentioned in the bio that you you're a real meat lover and you love barbecue and that sort of thing and it's one of your hobbies just run us through your love for barbecue and meat in general yeah so that was probably one of my vices and probably one of the reasons why i got to that 116 um kilo weight is that um so i, I back in 2012 i don't know if you guys ever or you've ever seen this show it was called man versus food and it was this awesome american guy and you know he looked he, he pretty much had the physique of me he was you know 
chunky, you know, a bit stocky, you know, well-rounded. He would just go to American barbecue joints and other places in, in America and do their challenges, you know. Can you eat a 15-pound steak or something in an hour? And he'd do it. And so my wife and I had this crazy idea of let's go and replicate some of what he's done for a holiday before we go and have kids. So we did that, and I was looking back at the photos for this trip, and as I went through, it got my weight got progressively worse for this three-month trip. And so that sparked the interest. I came home, couldn't find American ribs and stuff back, back in that time, so started cooking it myself. Some barbecue companies started to come on the market. They, they started sending me some to demo and play with and, and post on Instagram and Facebook about, and then it snowballed. And then a mate of mine got into competitive barbecue, which is, you know, you you basically, it's kind of like MasterChef for barbecuers, and we did that, and we actually um, together won a championship through his barbecue team in 2016, which was awesome. But when I look back at what we were eating, you know, it was it was fatty pork ribs with a lot of sugary sauce. It was, you know, um, jalapeno poppers. It was, you know, big sides of slabs of brisket with sweet sauces. It was really, you know, delicious, but... Now I need – I'm still doing those things, but I'm really thinking about, okay, how can I do this in a more clean way? Can I, you know, smoke a chicken and and have it really clean or have chicken wings with no sweet sauce, just a bit of hot sauce or something like that? Um, and that's that's helping a lot, um, and I can see that through my blood sugars. So, um, yeah, that, that's kind of where my interest in barbecue came. So I, I've got about six smokers at home, and um, I, I barbecue probably four, five, six times a week, which the family love. But now I'm more selective about, okay, you know, we're having sausages, you know, are they clean? Are they, you know, is there heaps of sugar in them? Is there heaps of carbs in them? Looking at the back of the labels and, you know, you go to Safeway or Aldi here in Australia and you look at three different types of sausages. One has 14 grams per hundred of carbs and sugar. One has two and one has 30. You know, you've got a choice. And just thinking about, you know, making all of those choices and together – that adds up to, you know, a, a better healthy outcome. Yeah, and it's having that education around those labels and that sort of thing. And Absolutely. Yeah, man versus food is, um, yeah, steak and that's great, but maybe not 15 pounds in one go. But that, That's right. I, um, we talked about the carnivore sort of diet for a minute there, and what I find about carnivore is quite interesting because I was probably more of a keto carnivore type person when I was losing the weight because – the things I really love to eat, right, meat, seafood, dairy, um, things like eggs, you know, meat, steak, fish, yep. shellfish, lobster, all that sort of thing. So basically the carnival world in the animal kingdom, you know, that's that yep. really made for me. But is that sort of the direction that you think you're going to be taking now from where you are now? I, th- I think so. Guy. What I found with carnivore, I, I really enjoy it um, other than some of the um, side effects of when you first start because you need to be very close to a bathroom at short notice um, without giving too much detail. But if people want to have a laugh, they can Google Joe Rogan and his side effects of starting ca- carnivore. And, yeah, he, 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 comp- um, he compared his bowel movements to um, a dodgy Russian in a back alley who can't be trusted um, which was quite funny. But I, I think for me, that's probably going to be the sweet spot. So at the moment, I, I'm probably having like some avocado, a lot of eggs, um, clean meats, and a little bit of vegetables, um, but, you know, more the green type ones. But what I've found, which has been really interesting, is as I've transitioned to more keto carnivore and carnivore, somewhere in between that, the back pain that I have for my spinal injury goes away. 
and and then I stop and then have some carbs and you know might make some um, have a pizza night with the kids or something like that if it's an off day in in my window, um, and then the next day my back pain starts to feel a bit twingy again and then I you know the next day after that, okay I'm going to have just steak and clean veg or just steak and do that for a couple of days and then the second day after that my back feels like before my spinal injury happened, so I think. From my experience, there is definitely something to the inflammatory nature of foods. And I also think, too, whether you're doing keto carnivore or carnivore or keto, there are foods that trigger you. And I think my my sugar addiction is going to be probably a lifelong thing I have to manage because I can be doing great for a month and then the kids are having ice cream and then before I know it, I'm having ice cream and then I'm seeing my blood sugars go up. Right? It's very rare these days because I'm managing it more. But I, I liken it to people who have a smoking habit who quit and then they're around people in a cafe who are having coffee and then that's a trigger for them and the next thing they know there's a cigarette in their hand. Now, I'm not a smoker so I can't relate to that, but I think it's similar. So I, I find, for example, even if I'm doing keto or keto carnivore, if I have cheese, it, it sets something off in my brain and then I'm – you know, hungrier for the rest of that afternoon and, you know, I'm looking for other sweet things. And then I've looked into it and other people have said, you know, cheese is a trigger for them, you know, especially if they're mozzarella cheese or really salty sweet. And so I think some of these foods need to be identified as trigger foods so that or maybe, you know, having cheese or having a glass of milk at night, while milk is a whole animal thing, there's a lot of lactose and sugar in it. And guess what goes really great with milk? Um, ice cream and cookies and Oreos. And then before you know it, you're, you know, doing twist it, dip it, dunk it Oreos at milk. So I'm trying to be a bit more restrictive most of the time because I'm finding that if I'm not, it's kind of a bit of a, I don't know if that's been your experience, but that's what I've found. Yeah. And I think if you're going to be an angel, mate, if you're a, if you're an angel 90% of the time, you're doing okay because everybody's infallible and it doesn't matter how long you've been overcoming sugar addiction or that sort of thing, and sometimes you do get jagged by that. But you mentioned the sugar addiction. Let's talk about that for a minute. So when did you sort of first recognize you had that issue and life before IF <clears throat> led you up to that um, diabetes? Was that part of your problem? Yeah, it definitely was. I, I think I think being an emotional eater and, and a person who has a very stressful life at work and, and just living my life day to day, you know, dealing with kids and other stuff. Wow, mate, that's a huge glass of water. That's impressive. Um, you know, living <laughs> living my life day to day. And I actually had a tr- – I've got a memory of something actually that happened when I was moving house about two years ago and it was stressful. Like I got a removalist but I had to do about 20 trips myself with the car in the middle of the night, you know, for the breakables and the – things that were sentimental or whatever, moving stuff into the new house. Mate, I just found myself at the bloody McDonald's around the corner of the, the old house, you know, every night at 11.45 before they closed at midnight, getting food and tired and hungry. And realistically, I probably wasn't that hungry, but I was just, you know, smashing ice cream sundaes in the middle of the night. And when I, when I look back at my labs on my blood history, I can see that around that time straight after my sugar got really bad, it got to the 8.4 mark, it got, you know, all my bloods were, were really negative. And I, I, I know that that was the point when I sort of had a problem. And so that continued over that, you know, sort of last two years of peaking until I really had that hard conversation with my doctor and my weight got to the point where I'm like, I can't ignore it. I don't want to be like all the rest of my family members who are, you know, having issues with diabetes or other bits and pieces. Um, so, wanted to try and manage it myself. And and the fasting stuff has been, look, whether you do carnivore, keto, 
carb, low carb, eating fish, whatever, the the IF stuff is the most forgiving and I think that it insulates you from having those occasional non-angel days because you're restricting your food to that window. You know, prehistorically we didn't have food all the time. It makes sense. Our bodies are tuned to do that. That's No one disputes that. And, and it just gives you the most flexibility with life, you know, because if you have an off day, the next day you start clean again. You have a holiday, you go to Melbourne, you will go to Sydney like you did recently. If you're not perfect all the time, that's okay. You get back on. Look, today is our wedding anniversary. We're going to go for dinner tonight. Definitely not going to be having perfect foods, but it's going to be within my three-hour window. And I feel I haven't had breakfast yet. I feel great now. I feel mentally sharp. It's 1.30 p.m. And, and you know, I've got no issue. And so I, I feel like it gives you a plan and a framework that's sustainable. And that's where 99% of other eating um, things aren't sustainable, I don't think. Yeah. Um- Chris, you mentioned that you, well, you've in conversations you and I have had before that you're a cyber security specialist. Has fasting helped you with that in terms of mental clarity and energy in your work? It, it has, and it's it's been really funny too because, um, you know, I talk to my boss all day and we collaborate and do work together and, and she'll be like, oh, it's one o'clock, I'm starving, I'm going to go get some lunch. Um, you know, I'll talk to you later. I'll say, yeah, no problem. And then, you know, won't say anything about it. And then three o'clock or four o'clock and I'll be like chatting to her saying, hey, I'm just going to go grab my lunch. She goes, wow, you've been going so long. That's amazing. How, how do you do it? And I'm like, you know, I feel mentally sharp as a tack, um, you know, feeling really good and and know that, you know, I, I, feel, I feel really well and it ha- hasn't slowed me down. If anything, I feel like I'm smarter. I feel a couple of points smarter when I'm, you know, I think it must be due to with the ketones going. And I think I read somewhere that, you know, prehistorically when people were hungrier, they were sharper with hunting and stuff. So I think there's something to be said about that. So, yeah, it's definitely helped me with my job being um, on point. And then I feel like, look, if I do my window and I open it, if I open it and don't have, you know, really clean food or really good food, that's when I'll feel maybe lethargic for a little bit after that until I, you know, come back up again. But, yeah, it's it's been really good. Really good. And I, my mood is better too, definitely better. Yeah, that's fantastic. So with your mood and the way you feel, does it give you a sense of calm? Because with intermittent fasting, what happened with me was after about a year or so, I found that I had this almost like an inner peace, right, which sounds like a Master Shifu line from Kung Fu Panda, but I really did. And um, I found like I was calmer. I was much more measured in my thinking. And when it came to eating, I found that I was more measured in the way I ate as well in terms of mindful eating, and I was slower, more deliberate. I thought about it more. When I was obese and I was a sugar addict and fast food addict and that sort of thing, I was just eating food for volume. I didn't care. I just plonk it on a plate and I'd eat it. Now I take time with the presentation. Do you find that you're more of a mindful eater now as well? Yeah, I, I do, and I find also that I'm not just mindful for myself, but I'm being a bit more mindful for my kids, like, you know, um, with what I'm feeding them, you know, um, is what I'm giving them quality, like, you know, for example, we roll around the drive through for them and they want their happy meal when we're going on a trip somewhere. It's like, do you really need that apple juice? Maybe we'll just get the pop-top water, mate, you know, and instead of the um, – the French fries, maybe you can get the apple slices or something. Like we don't always do that one, but definitely the water and apple juice. So it's made my mental clarity better and it's made my decisioning better. 
And I think that's just flowed through to all aspects of my life. So how I handle stressful situations, how I'm handling, you know, dealing with people who aren't cooperative, whether it's at home or at work or family issues or whatever. So I think overall, it's definitely helped to give me not not quite maybe at the master shifu level like you were talking about, but but definitely at the level of like feeling like I'm not so um, burdened with just life's um, like like I think it's mental fog. I think that's probably the best way to describe it: mental fog lifting. And I think people describe this, you know, in different forums and different posts about their mental clarity improving, especially in keto circles. I think that's something along the lines of what we're experiencing. Yeah, I agree with that. And I know particularly long distance driving for me became so much easier with fasting because when I was obese and I'd I'd be stopping at every single roadhouse going and my car looked like a pizza, there were so many crumbs in it and paper bags and that sort of thing from stopping at every roadhouse and service station and buying pies (laughs) and whatever else I could do, drink Coke by the gallons. Yeah. And then when I was fasting, I just had this really great energy and mental clarity and and that fog you're talking about, almost like I had a fog over my eyes, you know, when I was obese yeah. and on those long-distance trips. And I remember driving from Perth to West Prince, which is about seven hours, and I came back and I was so tired that I had to have two sleeps on the side of the road on the way home just to make it back to Perth. And when I'd done that trip again after about a year of fasting – Man, I was so alert the whole way up and down. The difference was amazing. And the difference was I wasn't stopping and spiking that insulin every sort of half hour or an hour every time I saw food. You know, I made food scarce. I was fasting and I had that more energy. So I definitely agree with that. So, Chris, let's talk about your support networks for a minute. And I know you just mentioned your wife and family there. What was sort of some support networks for you like from your family, friends, colleagues, that sort of thing around your fasting? Yeah, um, good question. Parents who are both diabetic in some way, shape, or form were really skeptical, um, and it's really funny too because they they think that they're doing some form of fasting, but their fasting is like eating breakfast and then eating dinner and having a really long window. And I've tried to explain, you know, trying to tweak that, but that hasn't gone too far. But so probably not so much support from parents. My wife's been amazingly supportive. Um, and, and to be honest, I, I bought all of the books that we talked about before, um, particularly yours and um, the Fast, Feast, Repeat one, and gave them to my wife and she read them. And then funnily enough, she started fasting, you know, probably about three months after I started. Um, and, and to be, yeah, and she's had great results too. And she was already fairly slim, but she's like really slimmed up more so than before. And, you know, we're, we're doing it together. So, you know, we'll sort of go through, have our black coffees in our um, – we bought a soda stream, which did the spot the um, fizzy water at home. That's been absolutely amazing. Highly recommend getting one of those because it gives you something, some texture, not just having plain water. It's really nice having something textured. That's been really good. Um, so yeah, I, I would say having your partner do it with you is a really good idea, or at least have their support. Um, and I think you know, from memory, you've had heaps of guests where their partners have gotten on the journey. And, and sometimes gotten better results than the first person who started, right, and surpassing them. And then it's a bit of a not competitive thing, but, you know, having – look, being in a position where you're not the only one who's not eating is definitely um, better because you don't feel alienated. And I think that's where some of the carnivore diet stuff falls apart a little bit because we, when you're – you know, the family has their full meal of, of steak, veggies, and two sides, and you're the only one having just a steak – 
that can feel very alienating and very restricting. And so I think doing things where you're not the only one who's singled out, whether it's your fasting protocol or what you're actually having in that window, I think that's a really positive thing personally. Yeah. I really like the idea of thinking about carnivore as a more of a short-term thing for me because- Agree. Just in when maintaining my weight, if you have a spike or something like that of a two or three pounds or whatever, then just maybe do a week of carnivore and pull that back and because it can really strip it off you. And um, But I think long-term for me, carnivore is probably not a, an option because I find it quite bland when the fact that you can only eat sort of meat and that sort of thing and dairy and, and the shellfish and lobster. But like I said before, all my favorite foods, but there are other things that I want to eat as well. Of course. And so, yeah, I, I do like that. Um, With the carnivore stuff, what I've noticed personally, having dabbled in it and kind of doing it a little bit now, you can't kind of half do it. So if you're going to do carnivore, it's got to be done pretty much 95, 100% compliant and it's got to be for a period of kind of two to four weeks. And that's when your you know symptoms and negative things will start to settle a little bit. So if someone is going to do that, in my experience – do it, think of it like a, a two to four week block where you sort of talk about it as a short term thing. I agree with that, where it helps you get that extra edge and then transition back again. Because if you're doing it every other day, you're going to find that it's going to mess up, you know, um, whether it's, you know, bathroom rhythm or sleep or something. So that would be my advice on that one. Um, think of it like a short term block. Yeah. So let's talk about mindset for a minute. You strike me as a guy that has a tremendous mindset and obviously in your career and work and that sort of thing, you. You have to be pretty sharp, but how did you sort of apply that mindset to your fasting and the discipline and focus that we need to get through this journey? That's a really good question. Um, the mindset thing is probably the most difficult one because um, it can be really disheartening to feel like you're doing all of the things and then you get on the scale and it moves up or down 100 grams or doesn't move as fast as what you would like. And and to be honest, that was part of the reason why I – kind of wanted to do this session with you is to sort of help with some of that because my mindset had to shift from, you know what, Chris, you're not going to get amazing results on the scale all the time or, you know, some of these massive, you know, 40, 50 pound um, results like some other people have had, but your your mojo is going to be awesome NSV victories in the first phase. So I had to change my mindset a little bit and, and kind of put the scales away for a period of time and just focus on how I felt and so I would probably recommend people when they start this journey, change their mindset to think of this as a lifestyle change and, and kind of not just be on the scales every other day. You know, why haven't I gone up or down? You know, you get a lot of questions on that on your Facebook group. I've noticed that, right? So I think if people change their mindset a little bit at the start um, and, and sort of think about, okay, how do I feel? Do my clothes fit better? You know? Um, my wife makes a joke about, you know, have I lost a man boobs cup size or not, you know? <laughs> and it, as funny as that sounds, it's true because um, I have lost probably a cup size. Um, so that, that mindset has to shift and then start doing, you know, once you've got that down pat, get your window clean, make it simple, get, you know, stick to your window, um, make that simple, stick to sort of, you know, seeing what results you can get from that to a point in time. Okay, now I've got to change and maybe go a bit lower carb. Um, you know, changing your mindset to simplify, and this is why I love your group and, and love some of your previous posts around simplification. When you start Googling IF, you're going to get such an overload of information and groups and just data. You know, it, it's going to do your head in. You know, you'll start with the Michael Mosley 5-2 documentary and then you'll get someone telling you, no, you know, Jason Fungal tale, you got to fast every second day, not eat anything for 30 hours in between. Like, 
just stick it start simple you know do one thing at a time and and just progress and that that was part of my mindset shift because you know we're all so used to being on our phones and instant gratification and you know messaging and and results straight away have to think of this as like you know there's a titanic ship and you have to move the rudder and it's going to move a little bit every day it's not going to be a straight turnaround you know yeah i really love that and um that's great advice for anybody that's thinking about starting this journey is to keep it simple because it is. And what we're doing is we're fasting and we're feasting. We're eating in a pattern of time. We're fasting for a period where we just talked about before, black tea, black coffee, plain water, plain sparkling water, plain green tea during your fast. Nothing could be more simple. Then you eat in a pattern of time in a window. Eventually, you'll make it a window-worthy meal where the high-quality foods will naturally gravitate towards that. You may start off eating all the things and anything you want, and that's great. And no judgment here on the fasting highway. Everybody has to find your own gig. But this lifestyle, it simply couldn't be any more simple. And I agree with you. It has got overcomplicated in the last three years, and particularly I get phone calls and messages from people I mentor every Monday, Chris, and it's always the same thing. Oh, man, I've, I've really overdone it on the weekend. I went to a kebab shot. I had a couple of beers. I went to a barbecue and I got stuck into the cakes and my weight's up four pounds or two kilos. And I'm I'm going to do a 40-hour fast and I'll stop right there. Okay? Do, do not revenge fast. Do not revenge fast come Monday and think you've got to do a 40-hour fast because your weight spiked a couple of pounds. More than likely, it's just water weight, which it is from the extra sort of carbs and the volume that you've been having that you weren't having during the times where you're on the rails. So it's important to realise that longer fasting is great for some people and that's their lifestyle and that's great, but it's not a thing where you need to punish yourself and say, I'm going to beat myself up, I'm going to fast for 40 hours, I'm going to really be negative about myself because it's self-destructive. Keep this lifestyle simple because it is simple. And I, I think that's such a good point. And there's there's one or two things I want to add to that which sort of support that is that I like to think of myself as like, okay, we're modern humans, right? But our biochemistry, whatever, hasn't changed much from the caveman days of 50,000 or whatever years ago, right? So do you think that a caveman with the same DNA as what I have now, do you think that he had a, a Rolex watch on his left hand saying, oh, it's 2 p.m., I've you know, I'm going to have to end my fast daily. No, he was hunting, he was gathering, whatever they found at that point of time. Now, if they found a lot of food and they found a lot of honey, they'd binge, right? And they might be binging for a day or two. And then they'd have a, a, you know, fasting and feasting and famine. This modern framework that we have is fantastic. But if you go off the rails a little bit, you know, it's very easy to come back on. There's no need to be revenge fasting, as you say. And I see people doing it and some people encourage it. And look, if, if you're implementing it as a framework of, oh, we're going to do meatless Monday because you want to kick in a little bit extra as part of a weekly thing, fine. But don't penalize yourself because at the end of the day, life is to be lived. So I'm you know, going to go for a nice dinner tonight and I'm probably going to have some carby beers and some treats with my wife and it's going to be great. I'm not going to feel bad about that because you know, at the end of my life, I don't want to feel like I missed out on all of these good things. I want to have a long and happy life and a balance of having some treats having some fasting and some famine and, and overall longevity. And, and I feel like if you look at it that way, you'll get that. Whereas if you, you know, look at yourself as have to be exactly one weight for your whole life, you know, it's just a matter of staying the course, 
you know, and you talk about this in your book, you know, you went on a trip, you gained a few pounds, two weeks later of just fasting and doing your thing in a daily walk, you're back right as rain. And the fact of the matter is even for that two-week period where you were slightly a few kilos over, you were nowhere near the previous um, Graham was of, you know, 60 pounds heavy or 100 pounds heavy, you know what I mean? So I think people just need to have a long-term mindset shift and, and be kinder to themselves and try and live their lives a bit better. Yeah, and that's where it comes down to lifestyle v. diet. And that's what intermittent fasting is. It's a lifestyle and it's a lifestyle change. And you need to fit intermittent fasting into your life. Like you, for example, going out for a lovely dinner with your wife for your anniversary and happy anniversary to you both. Thanks, mate. And congratulations and enjoy it. And that's what I say to people, you know, like I do remember and I've probably written about that is in that first few months of my fasting lifestyle, probably my wife reminded me of it the other day. She said, in that first six months, you didn't shift for anybody. There was no event. There was no nothing that you were going to shift your fasting regime. You stuck to it because you were so laser focused. And now I know more about fasting and about this lifestyle. And my advice to people is if you do strike an event and they say Saturday isn't a special occasion, right? And that's true. But unfortunately, nearly every special occasion that we have in East Country, in this country, happens on a Saturday. It might be a party, it might be a wedding, it might be something else, it might be a children's special birthday. So don't get too concerned about it. Be flexible, open up your window differently, change it around, move it around that day. And if your weight does spike the next day after a special occasion, go right back to doing what you're doing, as Chris suggested there. But Chris, we're nearly coming to the end of this podcast, mate, but and I've really loved all the things that you've said. So did you find any negatives or downsides to your intermittent fasting lifestyle? Like for me, and you've often heard me talk about this, it was the social aspect that I missed the most. So what what were some of those negatives for you? Was there any? Look, I reckon there's a transition period that people need to get a bit of a hump because, you know, you've had your whole life, however long you've been on this lovely earth, eating a standard Australian diet or a standard American diet, you know, the SAD, and and eating all the time and having the ice cream at night, and your body is being used to that. So once you start putting it into a, a slight amount of stress where you start skipping breakfast and start, you know, your electrolytes might change, your water intake or whatever the things are, Yes, there might be a period of a week or two where you kind of have some, you know, morning grumbles or a mood change or maybe some light headaches for a couple of weeks. But I would really encourage people to think about the fact that that passes and that's part of a body recalibration transition and that what's on the other side of that is, you know, mental clarity like you've never experienced before and, you know, a feeling like, oh, I don't really exercise. I'm not an exercising guy but I really want to go for a walk or, you know, I, I, it happened to me a few weeks ago. I was going for a walk. I'm like, I don't really know why, but I feel like I've got a lot of energy today. I'm just going to start running for a bit until I don't want to. So I went for a, you know, it looked like a well probably, but you know, I was going for a mini jog for a little bit. So I, I would tell people to be patient and just, you know, trust the process. And if they have to, you know, if it takes them a while to push back their breakfast window to, to midday, do that. Spend a month and just push it back half an hour every week. And after the month, you know, all of a sudden breakfast is now at noon and the first three hours of breakfast is provided by your liver. You know, that's what I would say. Yeah, I think that's fantastic, mate. Absolutely. That's the only negative, probably just a little bit of a transition and it's not even that bad, you know, just upping your water and having a bit of salt in there and some quality salt. 
Um, it's funny. I listened to the advice again of Keith and I got some better quality salt. So I went and bought the Redmond stuff from America and Amazon. Not that we're talking about particular brands here, I know. But, um, you know, I did feel nicer after having that salt, you know, for whatever the reason is. So, okay, that's another thing now. Better salt, better electrolytes. So um, that's, you know, that's probably the only negative. The social aspect I think people can control um, by just being more choosy with their words. So rather than, you know, trying to tr- uh, preach to people about intermittent fasting, just saying, oh, you know what, I've already eaten or, um, you know, I'll get something later or, um, you know, that's what I would suggest. But I, I would I would say that aspect of things is easier now because people aren't around an office, around a water cooler, having a birthday lunch with people and sharing a Safeway cake. You know, they're at home working from home on Zoom. So really... I think a lot of that social pressure has been lifted for people other than the social gatherings. So so I think this is actually a good opportunity for people to not feel that pressure and get their own rhythm and then, you know, be comfortable in their own skin doing their fasting. Yeah, that's great advice. And it's like people I work with, right? And I only work in a small team. And um, I started noticing that nobody was eating at lunchtime, right? I thought, this is weird. I was the only one doing that before. And then I sort of said to them, we had a team meeting one day, I said, Hey, how come you guys aren't eating at lunchtime? And they'll say, oh, well, we've, we've followed your example because we've seen your results and we want that too. And and it's funny, I was driving in that road trip I was talking about before. I had yeah. a guy with me and I said, hey, do you want me to pull into the servo so you can get some a service station so you can get some food? Yeah. And he said, no way, man. He said, I want to fast like you because whatever's happening to you, I want that to happen to me. And because they, they could see that you lost the weight, and I think what happens is after a while when you do get the weight off and then you keep it off, that's the big thing. People hang around. They're waiting for you to fail. They're waiting for to see that rebound. They're waiting to see that big regain because yeah. 90% of people that lose a massive amount of weight, they regain it. We see it all the time in these TV yeah. shows where they flog the death out of people on TV and then you know they come out and they write a cookbook and it's a bestseller and Three months later, they're 30 kilos or 60 pounds heavier than what they were yeah, when they went It's in. so true. It's so true. And, I, and, yeah. I, I think, too, and the, the good thing about seeing you do it, and I mean this with all due respect, and I, I don't know if you've been told this before, but seeing a regular Aussie bloke, regular guy, and, and, and you know, you're not, you're not like 36 years old, right? You're older than me. So seeing you lead the pathway showed that, well, if a regular dude who's actually could be my dad's age could do it, then there's no real reason why, you know, 36-year-old spring chicken like me can't do it. And so, you know, really there's no age too late to start, you know, and part of what you talked about, I feel like the fasting bit is the framework. So people talk about the diet bit, oh, you've got to do vegan, you've got to do carnivore, you've got to do whatever. For me, that's just the thing you slot into the window and that the window is what makes it sustainable. So if you stick to the window, it doesn't matter which one, what you slot in there, you're never going to have that, you know, leave the biggest loser and then all of a sudden you gain 30 kilos because your window restricts that, right? So I, I, I kind of feel like for me, the foundation is the fasting bit. That's the part that can't move. And then you tweak the other bits of you, what your, you know, what's window worthy for you at that point in your life. Yeah, thanks for that. And I think age is no barrier. I mean, Absolutely. We have people in our group, and a big shout-out to Lou Jensen there up in New York. She's 84 years old, about to turn 85 next week. An amazing lady. She's lost, you know, 25 kilos, 50 pounds nearly in a year. So age has got nothing to do with it. The biggest enemy of an obese person is procrastination. Oh, yeah, I'm going to do it next week, or I'll stop next week, and I'll stop this behavior tomorrow, or 
you know, um, they come to the end of the year, 1st of January, all our gyms, they've got extra people in them. Our swimming pools have got extra people in them. They've made these New Year's resolution. I'm going to get this weight off, going to get this weight off. And by the end of January, you see that big drop off a cliff from all the gyms and the, the swimming pools start emptying out because people just give up. Yeah. And so I've, my advice to people out there, it's never too late. <clears throat> and, you know, I'm 58. And I did think at one point in my life that probably about 45 that I was just going to be obese for the rest of my life. This is just how I'm going to be. I'm going to be obese. I'm going to probably die around 55, 60. I'm going to be gone. You know, my life's going to be shorter because of this. And I thought, that's okay. I'm just going to keep being a party boy, drinking and eating whatever I wanted and all that. And then I had an epiphany moment about that. And I thought, well, you know what? I am only 55 and, you know, I've got a lot of living to do yet. And the way I can extend my life is by getting this weight off and getting healthier. And I feel that by doing what I did and losing the 60 kilos, 132 pounds, it's probably extended my life by another 20 years. And that means I get to spend another 20 years with my kids. I get to spend another 20 years with my wife. I get to see my grandchildren in the future, hopefully. And um, so if there are drivers there, I don't know what is. But, Chris, we're going to wrap it up now, mate. I, I know we've both got things to do here on a busy Saturday in Australia, but I can't tell you what a pleasure it's been talking to you. And I'd love to get you back on this podcast in six months' time because that's what we do here on the Fasting Highway. We interview people. And then we come back to them in six months and we say, well, how are you going now? And some of them might not be going so great. Some of them may be going great, but it's important to follow this up. So thank you, Chris, for joining me here on the Fasting Highway. Thanks for having me. And thanks for all your support too. Really appreciate it. No worries, mate. Take care. Cheers, mate. All the best. Oh, thanks so much, Christopher. That was fantastic. What an amazing journey you've been on so far, just getting those health benefits and reversing that diabetes and also the fatty liver in that short period of time is absolutely sensational and good luck to you in the future and we're definitely going to follow you up. So coming up next week on the podcast, we've got the very inspiring Layla Jean. And Layla is from Iowa in the United States and she's just lost over 100 pounds uh, just this past week, which is an amazing milestone in her intermittent fasting journey and Layla is a super inspiring person in the international IF community so don't miss that one Layla Jean coming up but once again thank you to all those that have been buying my book on Amazon The Fasting Highway also the members of the Fasting Highway Facebook group thank you for your support and input we've got a few things going on in there so if you're not a member of the Fasting Highway Facebook group then come and join us anyway until next week Be well, be safe, and remember, clean fasting is everlasting.